0: Growing up, I never attended Yizkor. In my conservative suburban Westchester shul, as soon as a rabbi announced the beginning of Yizkor, there was a mass exodus. Anyone and everyone who could got up, rushed out of the room, and headed for the parking lot. It was as if the service itself was taboo. It was something no one spoke about, but we all shared the tacit understanding that we didn't want any part of it at least not until life circumstances forced it upon us. This mass exodus before Yizkor reflects a common attitude in our society about death, mourning, and grief. It's part advice and part superstition. Avoid this particular life experience as long as you can. The stigma around grief is palpable. Don't go near it, don't talk about it, and certainly don't expose your children to it. Death is ominous and scary, and mourning and grief are painfully sad, messy, and challenging. So when presented with the choice of staying in Youth Corps services and confronting some of life's most difficult emotions, or turning a blind eye and leaving on an already challenging day, walking out is a very natural reaction, and yet, Those of us gathered here this afternoon know all too well that this is a very short-sighted response to YISCOR. Grief is a natural and integral part of life. None of us is immune from feeling its grasp throughout our lives. As British psychiatrist and grief specialist Colin Murray Parks asserted, the pain of grief is just as much a part of life as the joy of love. If caring for others and holding close to community is what it means to be human, then grieving the deaths of loved ones must be just as much a part of the fabric of our lives as celebration. Yizkor is a uniquely beautiful and paradoxical moment in our religious observance, a sacred shared space that is both intensely personal and communal. Though in its format, Yizkor is a public worship service It is a profoundly private moment, a chance for each of us to turn inward and spend time with our own personal loved ones who no longer walk this earth. Ironically, it is precisely the public nature of Yizkor that makes it such a powerful space. Because we know that everyone around us in this service is grieving, we are enveloped by the comfort of knowing that we are not alone on our grief journeys. While we only find ourselves at a Yom Kippur Youth service once a year, the truth is that beneath the surface, our community, like all communities, is filled with grief and mourning each and every day. While grief feels like a uniquely isolating experience, it is something that every single person is touched by and that we will each continue to be touched by in different ways throughout our lives. Here in this room today, and tuning in from couches, living rooms, and backyards across the Bay Area, and also not tuning in, there are people all around us actively grieving for their loved ones, not just today, but every day, even if we as a society do not allow others to see our grief outwardly on a daily basis. The first word of the namesake prayer of our service The verb Yizkor is formulated in the future tense. Yizkor Elohim et Kol Nishmot. Literally, God will remember the souls of all our loved ones who have gone on to eternity. The rabbis who authored this prayer could have chosen the reality of the past tense, Zachar, God remembered. They could have chosen the comfort of the present, Zocher. God remembers, but instead they chose the hopefulness of the future, Yizkor, God will remember. Even at, our t- at a time when our thoughts focus entirely on those who have died, at its core, the focus of our Yizkor service is forward, actively pointing onward to the future. Each year in YISCOR, we spend time recalling memories of our loved ones from days gone by. And in doing so, we actively bring those memories forward with us into the next chapter of our lives. You see, there's a tremendous power in the act of remembering. According to scientists, our memories are a lot like a game of telephone. Every time that we remember an event from the past, Our brain networks change in ways that actually alter future iterations of remembering that same event. A memory is not simply an image produced by magically time traveling back to the original iteration. It is an image that is distorted because of the prior times that we remembered it. In Moonwalking with Einstein, The Art and Science of Remembering, Joshua Foer writes, memories are not static, somehow, As memories age, their complexion changes. Each time we think about a memory, we integrate it more deeply into our web of other memories, and therefore, we make it more stable and less likely to be dislodged. But in the process, we transform that memory and reshape it, sometimes to the point that our memories of events bear only a passing resemblance to what actually happened long ago. The sheer act of remembering quite literally and scientifically alters our memories. Each time that we recall past stories of our loved ones, our memories change and morph in the process. Not only do they become more deeply ingrained in our minds, our memories also become more deeply ingrained in who we are as people, because they become more of what we need them to be in the process of recall. During our use corps service this afternoon, we each spent time immersed in memories of our loved ones, their smiles, their quirks, their advice, their hugs, their tears, and everything in between. When we allow ourselves the space to grieve, We are able to recenter ourselves and bring the light and strength of our loved one's legacies forward to the present and onward to the future. We are different people now than we were when our loved ones departed this earth. Through the process of recalling their memory, we are able to maintain active, enduring relationships with them over the passing of years. Because of this reality, grieving is actually amongst the most hopeful things that we as human beings can do. Grief is something that never goes away after a death, but rather it morphs and changes over time, reappearing in new iterations with each twist and turn of life. Grief does not stop after Shiva, Shloshim and Shana, Judaism's distinct time periods of mourning, and grief cannot be contained to his services and we cannot expect it to. Imagine the healing that could take place if we allowed ourselves to have moments of yeast more than once a year. Imagine if grief was more public, more shared, and more understood in our community, not just in this annual service or our seasonal yeast services, but any time that any of us needed to grieve. My prayer for all of us this afternoon is that we do not wait until this time next year to revisit our grief and our memories, both individually and in community with others. This year in particular, our lives are continually upended by the tumultuous world around us, and it feels like we are forced to make sense of national tragedies every week. In the context of this turbulent moment in time, we cannot afford not to grieve together. Our shared experience of mandated physical distance has created a newfound sense of closeness among us, and it has broken down some traditional societal barriers and taboos. Ironically, sheltering in place has in many ways helped us to connect more deeply with each other and to begin tackling more complicated conversations. It has regrounded us in our present and challenged all of us to remember who and what really matters. May 5781 be the year that we share our grief with others and remember our loved ones together, strengthening our memories and brightening the lights that guide our lives. We owe it to ourselves, to our friends and families, and to our loved ones who are no longer with us today. Zichronam livracha Yom Yomi May all of our loved ones' memories be blessings each and every day of our lives.